Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit hellofreedomchurch.com. Good morning. It is great to seeing everybody today. It's a great morning, right? Absolutely. You know, I've been thinking a lot about a specific word. It's the word hope. Hope. In fact, I'll give you a little bit behind the scenes uh, just picture. Beginning in December, we're going to be going through a four-week series of sermons all on, the, on hope. Uh, and I was just thinking about that today, and I just want you to know today that regardless of where you are, there is hope. In fact, as I've been studying scripture in preparation for this series of sermons, anybody want to guess which book of the Bible the word hope appears most often? Anybody want to guess? I would have probably guessed like Psalms or something like that, but that's not the case. Do you know that hope appears most times in the book of Job? The book of Job. Anybody remember that guy? There's hope, guys. Regardless of where you're at, there's hope. And so we're going to believe God... When I look at it with my physical eyes, man, it can be hopeless. But when I involve you and invite you into the equation, into my life, there is absolute all kinds of hope. So we're going to pray for that. And I'm believing that God just wants to instill into your heart hope. But as well as I'm thinking something as well on top of this, and that is this Holly Dazzle, Festival of Lights. That's this community-wide downtown event that goes on. uh, And we're helping host it. in just a few hours this afternoon, there's literal thousands of people, thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, that's going to be in our sanctuary, decorating cookies with all kinds of kids. And we live in a world, there's so much hopelessness. And as we're volunteering, it takes between 80 to 100 people of you guys that are already signed up to volunteer. I'm praying that when people walk in today, they're going to feel something. They're going to feel some hope just walking in this building, okay? And just as they interact with you. So would you join me in prayer concerning that? God, help us not to hold it to ourselves. God, we want to share this. So, Father, today, I don't know who's all, Lord, in our congregation today. I don't know all those that are watching online today. But, Father, I pray. I know that the enemy comes to try to steal hope. But, Father, I know that in you there is all hope. So, in Jesus' name, Lord, we invite you into our difficulties. We invite you into our struggles. We invite you, God, Father, into our visions and our perspectives of, 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 of wherever we may be today. And, God, I thank you that you are the giver of all hope in the name of Jesus, oh, God. And Father, I pray where there's been fear, it would be displaced with faith. I pray, Lord God, where there's just been such discouragement. Lord, I pray that hope would arise, Lord, in our own hearts, in our own lives today. In Jesus' name, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. But Father, we think of all these, Lord, hundreds, thousands of people coming into our our facility this afternoon, Lord, with their children and going to have fun and just kind of setting the tone for the, the holidays that are coming up. God, I pray that you would use us, Lord, just with our smile, with our handshakes, with our laughter, Lord, with just our engagement, with just a, 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 an attitude of just serving, God, that hope would be transferred into their hearts, God. And maybe for the first time, Lord, you'd give us, Lord, just for the first time, they would experience, Lord, this hope, oh God. Give us divine appointments, God. Lord, we welcome you, Lord, in this place, not only when we're here, but, Lord, when other people come. Lord, we thank you for that this afternoon, Lord, that you'd be with us. We love you today. We bless you. We praise you today, God. So thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship. We give you the remainder of this time that we'll spend together as a family in worship and praise. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God. Amen. 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 God bless. You can be seated today. Amen. 
Isn't it wonderful just to be able to come together and worship the Lord as we've done today? Ooh, I love it. It's awesome. Well, I am so excited to, uh, for you today to introduce some friends of ours. Uh, these friends have been with us a couple of times in the past. Dr. Paul, Dr. Carol Alexandria, they are the uh, president of Trinity Bible College, of which I'm alum, an alumni and, and love that college and just all that it has done uh, for me, our family, but then through the past. Uh, Paul and Carol are from South Africa. You will notice that as soon as he takes the microphone. And what God has done in them and through them is just really incredible. Uh, with a college in Ellendale, North Dakota. Anybody been to Ellendale? Yeah, all right, we got a lot of people. Well, that's where the college is, the Trinity Bible College, and, and you're going to enjoy their ministry today. Taking this college and just with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's just been such an incredible story that has been written and is still being written today number of uh, postgraduate degrees and just really reaching people through the, that community but through the nation uh, as well as around the world. And so I could, I could go on today in all the accolades that they've uh, achieved, uh, but you will, you will hear from their hearts today. So, uh, and then on top of it all, they're just really nice people. So <laughs> you will enjoy them. They're like one of us. They would fit in so well here, I think. And anyway, so it's my privilege uh, to introduce to you uh, Dr. Paul Alexander. You come to you. Well, good morning. What kind words. It's special to be with you. It's probably been much too long since I was here. And uh, of course, the cat's already out of the bag. You know, this isn't a North Dakota accent. But you've got to know this, we are now 10 winters in to our time in North Dakota. We've earned our stripes, we've been stuck in the ditch, we've been rescued by state patrol, we've had all those blizzards and winter storms, and we're still alive, and we're still rejoicing, and we're still glad, and we're loving, absolutely loving what we're doing at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School. We're going to do three things today, if that's okay, so you can track along with us. Uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to introduce Carol to you. Carol heads up our graduate program, which which has just had a meteoric growth and rise. Uh, we now have students literally all over the world, probably in 10, 11 different nations, key leaders, places like Kenya. We've just been talking in Burkina Faso. We have people in Jordan, across the UK, uh, doing either MA level work or even PhD work, fully accredited programs. You need to check out some of the very innovative stuff. Some stuff we're just so proud of. We've been able to put together these programs and they are changing people's lives, and more importantly, through those lives, impacting and changing communities, which is why we do what we do. We want God's name to be made famous throughout all the earth. So I'm going to introduce Carol. She's an author. She's written some books. It's Christmas time. These are great gifts, but I'll let her talk about that. And then to those who are handling the tech, as soon as Carol finishes, we'll transition straight into a short video. I'll come back up after the video, uh, share a little bit more about that, and then we'll go into God's Word, and we'll have a good time around the Scripture. So great to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Our joy to be here. This is my wife, Carol. We've got two kids. And much more importantly, we've got two grandkids, but uh, that's another story. But Carol's going to share a little bit about her book. Morning. Wonderful to be with you this morning and to share in the awesome worship we shared together. Um, just quickly, my first book is called Wild Hope, and since you have that theme as part of the next month, um, 
I, I titled this book Hope, Wild Hope, because um, I use that word hope not in the sense of wishful thinking or you really hope it happens, but it might never, but in the biblical sense of Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. And that's been the story of my life. This book is a memoir, and it starts off with me um, as a young girl living in South Africa. And in December, I was, as a 13-year-old, just hanging up, washing on the line with my mother. And um, obviously, the other hemisphere, so it was warm, hot weather. And um, I suddenly, our family were not Christ followers at that time. But I heard a voice in my head that said, Tracy, who was my two-year-old sister, is drowning in the pool. And um, I thought, oh, I can't say to my mom, God's just told me Tracy's drowning in the pool. So I just said to my mom, where is Tracy? And she said, in a very nonchalant way, she's with your sister in the dining room. And I wanted to scream, she's drowning in our pool. And um, I ran to my sister, my older sister in the dining room and back and said, Mom, she's not there. And my mother charged towards the pool and came out, um, got out of the pool with a little baby that had been in there for, we think, up to 10 minutes. And so she was limp and lifeless. And that started a journey for our family. It's a remarkable story of the neighbor next door hearing me screaming, God, help us, and running over. And a remarkable story of God's answer to a prayer that brought our family to Jesus. And then it goes on and tells stories about my life living in South Africa as a a young girl and how we met and went to college together and all sorts of adventures around the world. But then I think one of the stories that's probably the dearest and nearest to my heart is um, it takes three chapters of the book. It's about my son. And um, on the, a beautiful day in North Carolina, we were living in the United States by now. Our kids were both in university. It was a lovely sunny day. And um, we were all out doing our own thing, and I came back from shopping, and I was unpacking my groceries, and the, the front door bell rang, and I went, and I opened the door with a smile. It's a lovely sunny day. Everybody's happy and smiling, and there was a big burly policeman, and he said to me, are you Mrs. Alexander? Yes. Do you have a son, Jason? Yes. Um, why, why are you asking me about my son? I thought maybe he'd got a ticket, and I'm in a new state, North Carolina. Maybe when your son gets a ticket, the policeman dobs on him and comes and tells the mom. So that's kind of what I was thinking, you know. Um, so I'm standing at the door, and um, he said to me, I've got some very tragic news for you. And that's when your world collapses, and you just think, what? And he said, your son has had the most terrible motor accident, and he's been airlifted to... A hospital um, in the city, and uh, ma'am, you need to get there very, very quickly. Uh, your son is in a, a very, very desperate situation, and your whole world drops. You, you, you know, and and yet, instinctively in that moment, I knew deep inside of me, God knew about this day. God knew about this day, even though I didn't. And our son had had. Um, a truck had rammed into the side of him and pushed his car the, the length of a football field and then landed on top of the car. And uh, his car was crushed to the size of a shoebox. And he was inside there. He had a ruptured aorta, a rib went through his heart, 
another one through his lungs, another one through his spleen, another one through his liver. When we got there to the hospital, the doctor said to us, your son is the most injured person we have ever admitted into this hospital. Nobody with these injuries has ever made it to hospital. And that started a very long journey for us, a journey of agony, um, a journey of incredible pain, and yet through it all, a God who was there all the time, an amazing God of hope, and also God that gives you hope in those darker circumstances. And um, there were times where, you know, things just got worse and worse. On the third day, um, where Jay was absolutely at his lowest, and they were fighting for his life. He was on life support, um, and everything was going wrong. He had three strokes. And I just thought, what more can go wrong, God? What what more can happen in this boy's life? And um, it was just a very, very trying time. And on that night, um, I couldn't go home. I, I said to Paul, I can't go home until we see uh, the doctor and, and ask him about Jay. And the doctor came in at about midnight and he could see I was crying and um, he sat me down and he looked at me and he said, ma'am, I'm not a man of faith, I'm a man of science. He said, I was here the first night your son came in and I did not believe we would ever get him off the bed, or off the operating table. He said, but you know, um, all of the doctors in this hospital are acknowledging that the God of the Alexanders is doing what medical science cannot do for this boy. So he looked at me and he said, just, just go home and have a good night's rest and keep putting your faith in the one whom you've been putting your faith. And I thought, talk about the ungodly giving the godly advice. That was some, you know, I should, put your faith in him. Okay, yes, you know. And, um, and we did. And, you know, it was an amazing journey in that hospital with those doctors and those nurses because they really journeyed with us. And many of them were not Christ followers. Most of them weren't. But they would often let us stay way past visiting hours. And they would sit at the bottom of the bed and they would talk to us and they'd ask us about our faith and what we did and our work. And they'd sit... One night, the little Jewish doctor who was not a believer sat and listened to us for over an hour and a half. And, um, and then on the 21st morning, um, the, the 21st day that Jay had been on life support, um, a nurse called us at five o'clock in the morning. And um, she said, you need to come into the hospital. Something amazing has happened. And at two o'clock in the morning, Jay's eyes had begun to open. And they told us that if Jay did survive, he probably would never walk again. And they were, they were thinking there was going to be brain damage, all the surgery and everything that had happened. And so this nurse, Bob, was on, she was on that particular morning and she walked up to Jay. She said, Jay, can you hear me? And he nodded his head. And she said, Jay, if you can understand what I'm saying, will you pull out your tongue? And he pulled out his tongue. And then she said, Jay, now you really have to concentrate really hard. But if you can wiggle your left toe, would you wiggle it for us? Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And then she said, Jay, if you can wiggle your right toe, will you wiggle it for us? Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And she said to us that all the doctors and nurses ran around that bed and they were all 
crying. They were all crying because they, with their own eyes, had seen a miracle. And they knew that this was a miracle because that boy should never even have made it to the hospital. And on the morning we walked in on that 21st day, the little Jewish doctor who'd been with Jay from the beginning saw us and he looked at us and he just went like this. I said that was his unsaved way of saying hallelujah because he just didn't know how to say that. But um, God gave us Jay back and uh, today Jay lives in California and six months ago he married his little darling, a beautiful little Turkish girl who got saved out of um, the Muslim world and loves Jesus with all of her heart and uh, God is working profoundly in their lives. So that's that story, Wild Hope. And then a couple of years ago, um, people kept bugging me and saying, Carol, won't you write uh, some of your devotions that I was blogging about? And you know, this is just a very practical little book. Uh, There's 50 little short devotionals, but it deals with stuff like learning to be content. The grass is not always green on the other side. Deal doubt a death blow. The purpose of pain dealing with the shadows of your past, how to deal with anger, those kind of practical subjects that we handle every day of our lives. And there's 50 of those. And that little girl on the front is my precious little granddaughter. So she's, it's worth buying the book just for that. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, So we'll be at the back at the end of the meeting and they go for $15 each or two for $25. I hope that they will bless you. I hope that they will bless somebody that you know. And it's just fantastic being with you today and being able to celebrate and worship this beautiful, magnificent Jesus that we all love and serve and who gives hope in a hopeless world and has done amazing, incredible things in my life and I know in yours as well. So God bless you. The world is changing. At times it seems as though the world were darker than ever before. And still we hear the Spirit saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? These challenges didn't fall to the great leaders of yesteryear. They fall to us. God has and always will use broken people to accomplish the work of the kingdom, the greatest work that one can aspire to. Here at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School, we take the responsibility very seriously. We are committed to training and educating people with theological reflection and missional passion in order that people and communities everywhere will hear the good news of Jesus and see His love demonstrated. In a world that is changing more rapidly than ever, people need that which never changes. They need a different way forward, a better path. They need the King and the Kingdom, and we are going to give it to them.
update. Uh, that's just three hours away at Trinity. We offer programs all the way from a kind of a pre-college program called Pack Your Bags that is just the funnest thing that's happening on the planet right now. So if you know any seniors in high school and not quite sure what to do with their lives, we know exactly what to do with their lives. Send them to us and uh, it's a kind of a year of your life. It's, uh, it's four credits and so they can get some college credits but they, uh, they do a kind of a life skills program and that takes him through things like uh, personal relationships, money management, how to just get up on time and be ready for life. And that ends up, and it's just happened the last week or so, they go off to Chicago and Milwaukee. They go through poverty simulation. They literally live in cardboard boxes on the streets of Milwaukee for about 24 hours. Moms and dads, it's completely safe, I assure you. And they come back and they love moms cooking more than ever before. And it kind of changes their perspectives. And then they go into a ministry phase and there's several tracks following that. There's a Nepal track, there's an Africa track, there's a Philippines track. Didn't happen last year, so they all went to Hawaii instead. We make plans when we have to. And so uh, that's the second phase. The third phase is a Bible phase, fundamental Bible literacy, and that ends up with a trip to Israel, and kayak on the Jordan River, and go on Jeep safaris up the Golan Heights, and then walk where Jesus walked, and serve in that environment, and come back with a whole new love for the Bible and for the Lord of the Bible, and, and then into an exit phase. Should they go on to school? Should they go to college? What's a FATSA all about? All that kind of stuff that we help them and take them through. Many of them continue on and uh, finish their studies with us in one of our eight, nine, ten majors, whatever they are. And then, of course, I've already mentioned our grad program. Our kind of flagship program is an MA, Missional Leadership. It's practical theology through and through. Some of you who are serving perhaps in Chi Alpha, let me advise you, let me encourage you, let me suggest you that you look it up and you check it out and we maybe help you in really being able to engage culturally in a very significant way and several of the other programs, including a brand new one launching next fall in, uh, in world religions, in MA world religions, a deep dive into Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim faith, uh, Jewish faith, secular humanism, and how we understand it all and make Christ known in those worlds. So please check us out, and then there's a PhD as well. We'd love to be able to serve you, but we're here to serve you today, and it's a real joy. Just amazing to stand in front of you. What a, what a privilege is mine. So many of you uh, young people with your lives ahead of you and so much to give and so much to share. I want to talk to you briefly out of uh, the book of Acts, which is a special part of the Bible. The Bible's very special entirely, but the book of Acts is a very, uh, very, very helpful part of the Bible. It establishes early patterns on how to do church and how to live. And one of the key passages to me is Acts chapter 10. I'm not sure that we would be here today if it wasn't for Acts chapter 10. I won't, give you the, I won't read the whole thing, but let me give you a quick overview of Acts 10. It starts out in a city which was north of Jerusalem, up on the Mediterranean coast called Caesarea. There's a Roman soldier there whose name was Cornelius, tells us that he was a captain in a guard. He had a senior rank in the military, and he was a very devout man, and it tells us very specifically that they gave to the poor, he cared for people, he was devout, and he was generous. And one day in verse 3, it says that he was praying and an angel of the Lord came to him. 
What a great moment that must have been. He was in fear, as you and I would be in fear. But the Lord told him in that moment, go and send people to Peter, who we know well from the Gospels, who was several days' journey south. Cornelius follows up on that advice. And of course, you can imagine God was preparing Peter at exactly the same time. Peter, classical male, it's about lunchtime, he's starving, the food's not ready yet. So just to be able to get through those few minutes, he goes up onto the rooftop and probably a combination of being really hungry and God's plan for his life, he has a vision. And in this vision, there's a sheet coming down from heaven and it's full of all kinds of creepy crawlies, all kinds of stuff that Peter would never have ever thought of eating ever. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no way, God, am I going to do that? I've never let anything unclean, and I'll explain that in a second, go through my mouth. God says to him, Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And Peter got the message really quickly. And then came out of that trance, out of that vision, went back downstairs, and he met the men that had been sent from Cornelius. So do you see how this is all starting to work out? Sort of act one, act two, we're into act three. He travels back north and he goes into Cornelius's home. Now it's easy to read that in the Bible, much harder to live it out. I mean, think of this, Peter had never ever been into a Gentile home. He had only ever entered Jewish homes. I don't know how many of you have ever traveled cross-culturally, but you go into homes that are very different to yours. It smells different. It feels different. And the dogs bark at you. You know, it's just that sort of way. It happens that way. And so Peter goes in. It's all strange. He's feeling awkward, but God sends his spirit and God's spirit falls on Cornelius. His whole household gets saved. And it's a dramatic, life-changing, and history-changing moment, all recorded in Acts chapter 10. Let me explain why. Up until Acts chapter 10, everything to do with the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the church, stuff that we're doing today, everything up until then was very restricted in a Jewish world. It was mainly restricted to Jerusalem and its environs. It still looked Jewish, smelt Jewish, felt Jewish, acted Jewish. It was entirely Jewish right up until Acts chapter 10. And when I say Jewish, I really mean Jewish. These people kept the law seriously. I don't know if you know how very detailed the law was, but I'll give you one example. If you were a Jew on the Sabbath, you would never just pull your chair out from underneath the table. Because you might, in doing so, let the back feet drag on the floor and create microscopic furrows. And in a Jewish mindset, that was like plowing on the Sabbath day. And that's how detailed they were. If you look in the mirror, you see a gray hair, you don't pluck it on the Sabbath because that would be like harvesting on the Sabbath day. That's how rigid the law was. That's how big deal it was. And when you read in Galatians about the Jewish law and us being set free from it, understand that's a massive big deal in terms of our lives and our choices and the way in which we conduct ourselves. And so up until then, it had been entirely Jewish and there was no thought of ever taking this good news outside of that Jewish world. 
And then Acts 10 comes along. Peter goes into this Gentile home. And here's what's so important about this chapter. It's the first time, the very first time, historic moment, outstanding second in history when the gate swings open and all of a sudden this good news that we've sung about and celebrated and loved today, it's for the first time made known beyond the Jewish world and every people everywhere in all times in their own language, in their own way can encounter the good news of Jesus and that's why we're here today. I mean, it's that big deal. We would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for Acts 10. So I'm trying not to overstate it or understate it. But friends, Acts 10 is a very, very significant historic moment in all of human history. This gospel, this good news was made available to all people everywhere, in all nations, at all times, right through to Thanksgiving 2021. Just amazing. And that's about all I'm going to tell you about Acts 10. Because in my little mind, something else stood out to me in the story. Maybe it's just the way I think and the way I read, but you know what really struck me was that when this whole big historic event starts, in verse 3 it says, One day, not a holiday, not Thanksgiving, not at the end of 40 days of fasting, not a special day, not a holy day. It says it's one day, gives us no more detail, doesn't tell us what time of the year, what month it was. It was just one day in the normal routine of this man's life that the Holy Spirit came into that situation and began to change. Just one day, an ordinary day. And what struck me is that most of the significant things that God does in our lives are in the one days. They're just in the routine. It's in doing what's right often enough, consistently enough for God to work. The one day of life. And I want to speak to you about one day, just learning to celebrate routine and ordinariness and the things that come our way through the normal process of living. It's the one day that becomes significant. If you do it well enough and often enough, the Spirit of God begins to move into one day moments. Let me give you a few examples. For example, I think that when we speak about one day, perhaps the first thing I'd like to speak to you about is one day for living. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but let me get in your face a little bit more and be a bit more explicit. I mean, really living. Determining that you're glad to be alive. One day to live deliberately and consciously and to be able to have a real deliberation about your life. It's not just another day. It's not just routine. It's not just something you've got to get through. If you know Jesus today, every day becomes a strategic and important and vital and wonderful day where the antenna ought to be up and the expectation ought to be high. Saying, God, what exciting thing can you do in my life today? I've had the privilege and the challenge of spending most of my life with students. Students sort of occupy a unique strata of the human race. And um, they can be fascinating and frustrating all at the same time. So let me just give you a little window into my life. When I walk down the passageway and I see a young student... I 
tend to get in their way a little bit. And first of all, I believe in good manners. So I think it's a pretty important thing that if somebody's in the room, you recognize them and you greet them and you say hello. Um, just saying, that was all for no extra cost. And, um, <laughs> and so I say, how you doing? Or words to that effect. And here's a young person with their entire life before them. Got the huge privilege of getting an education and they had good food for breakfast and there's more coming at lunchtime. And they look at me as though I've landed off another planet and they say, not too bad. Give me a break. <laughs> not too bad. Not too, I don't get it. I mean, opportunity in front of them. The world's still a good place to live. There are great times ahead of us, friends. I don't believe that we need to settle for just another lifelong pandemic. There are good days ahead. There are opportunities ahead. There are service situations ahead. There are people that you can encounter who will do your life good and you can do their lives good. And the best thing that comes out of your mouth is not too bad. So let me do the same to you today. It's not just not too bad, friends. It's another day. You're still alive. Check the obituary column. Do you know what that is? You don't do that anymore. You know, when I used to get really depressed, I'd check to see if my name was in the funeral homes list. And uh, if it wasn't there, it's, it's a good day. I mean, the fact that you're alive, you're here. And there's good news. And you've got friends and we've got warmth and we've got opportunity. I think it's a really important thing to stress that one of the ways in which God invades our lives and changes our lives as Christ follows is he gives us an appetite for living, which we've got to seize, we've got to embrace, we've got to love, we've got to be grateful for. It's a day for really living, living deliberately, consciously, living with a discipled sense of mindset, being able to commit our lives to saying, here I am, God. God, use me and use me well. Enthusiasm and energy and purpose because the goodness of God is still upon us and we've sung about that. And by the way, that is living hope-filled lives. And in the next few weeks, you need to grab hold of every single word that comes from this platform to fill your lives with hope and confidence and belief. God is still a good God. God is still a kind God. And God's got plans and purposes for all of our lives. If only we were to live them well. Now, I understand that sometimes chemicals go wrong in our brains and things are a challenge to live by. Get help. Seek out friends. Find somebody who can give you good counsel because you were born for a purpose and a reason and God's favor is towards you and it's a day for living. That's what stands out about good Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Here's another thing I want to share with you. I think it's a day not only for living, but it's a day for choosing. 
If you look at the context that is here in Acts chapter 10, it tells us that Cornelius had made some very strong choices by which he lived. They gave to the poor, he was devout, he was a generous man. In other words, here was a man who knew what it was to make good choices and live by those choices. And I don't know how much advice you've received through the course of your life, but I want to give you the simplest advice you've ever heard, and that is that a great deal of success in life comes down to the choices that you make. Sometimes you've got to make choices in the cold light of day. You've got to work out values, got to find things that are important, say, I'm going to live by these. And so then when the heat is on or it's a difficult moment, the challenges are there, you've already made your life choices. That's the finest way to live a life that is God honoring. It's to make good choices. And I find in this man good choices. The vast majority of our spiritual life is actually quite cerebral. I know there's a huge amount that's spiritual, but as we go through our lives on a day-to-day basis, much of it is cerebral. It's how many good choices you can line up, how you make sure that you don't get into crippling debt, how you get into good relationships, how you ensure that you take the right choices in life, and you make choices that will set you up for a good future. I believe that the Bible richly and fully consistently describes that the people of God did His wisdom. Why? To make good choices that work out in the way in which we live our lives. I've lived all over the world, so I can tell stories about people and they have no idea who I'm referring to. But um, I, I, I worked one day with, uh, for some time actually with uh, somebody who was um, extraordinarily manipulative and really moody. And I remember it got to me over a period of time and I'd say to Carol, come on, we've got to finish breakfast really quickly. I've got to get to the office early today. I'd finish breakfast, gobble it down, get in the car, pray for every green light all the way through to my office. You know, I'd pull up, it was a kind of a busy intersection and I had a car park next to the church right next, uh, right, right off this, uh, this intersection. I'd look across the wave of relief that would flow over me if this person's car wasn't there yet. Oh, I beat them to it. I'd pull in quickly, you know, I'd slam the door, grab my bag. I'd run down the passageway into my office. I'd put in prayer on the sign outside my door. (laughs) And then I'd wait and hear until the coffee cups had had maybe at least two rounds, you know, and then I'd open the door just to crack to make sure what kind of mood this person was in. And one day I thought, I'm the boss. made no difference whatsoever. (laughs) It's kind of sad commentary, right? I don't know any of you well. So let me just say it because we're heading out after lunch. Please don't abuse people by manipulative behavior or by moods or by imposing yourself and not having a sense of your own space. That all comes down to choices that God, by the way, wants to help you make because I think that's what he did in Cornelius's case. Good choices are all part of God's plan for your life. So one day for living, it's one day for choosing. Let me finish out pretty quickly and just share one last thought. And it's right here in the text. It's not just being preacher-ish. It's right here, if you read it, it's one day forgiving. Well, you know, all preachers perhaps eventually come around to that, but it's nice when it's really right in the text. 
Because it said they gave generously to the poor. Most enriching part of life is when we live for others. We make a determined choice to be generous and kind. We give with our words. We share in community events. We turn up on Sunday afternoons. We get involved when we should. We can be counted on when the opportunity to volunteer arises. It all is a part of what we were destined to be when God put his life inside of us, to be generous, to be kind, to be genuinely considerate. By the way, to determine to live as a working, living, walking, breathing defiance of the rudeness and the lack of civility that's invaded our society. We ought to stand out as Christ followers. Somebody sent me an email just a little while ago. Let me read some of the highlights to you. It speaks about a gentleman who'd been involved in trying to help the police out following Katrina in New Orleans. Then he says this somewhere down in it. He says, the Lord arranged it, however, for me to take a ride that day after I'd read about a woman by the name of Mabel. Let me introduce you to her through the words of Tom Schmidt, the man who told her story. The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It's a large, understaffed and overfilled and it's filled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there. It's not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts and into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek and it had, it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was now the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when nurses arrived, new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most people I saw in the hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it and then she spoke. Much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously presented by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her down. She found another lady and she said, here, this is from Jesus. That's when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her story. She'd grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. 
She ran, then ran that farm alone until uh, blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, stomach aches, and then the cancer came to her. And then the story goes on. This person developed a relationship and one night he said to her, Mabel, when you don't know, don't know whether it's day or light, what do you think about? She said, I think about my Jesus. This is what she said. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folk would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. So as we close out this morning, what's your excuse? Because we really have none. My passionate plea to every one of you, especially those of you that have got a lot of life ahead of you, won't you live, live determined, disciplined, passionate lives? Won't you choose? In fact, I need to say this as I begin to hand back to your pastor. Some of you need to confirm some choices before the sun sets today. And you know who you are. You've just got to make the right choice. Find help and courage and make it. Let's be the kind of people that are constant, consistently giving. Because who knows that one day, today, is a day of great opportunity. Let me pray for you and hand back to your pastor. Jesus, thank you for this great group of people. Women and men, we've made time either in the room or online to listen to your word, to hear a challenge about their living. I pray your Holy Spirit would take what's been shared and add life and meaning to it. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Paul. Thank you, Dr. Carroll, for just sharing today. What a wonderful thing. I want us to do something. If we could stand, we're going to conclude in a song today. Jordan and the band are going to lead us in this song, and I think it's so appropriate. But I want to encourage you to do something today. I think Dr. Paul has just shared with us so many wonderful insights and thoughts, and, and not just some type of you know, random thoughts, but I believe they're things that God is speaking to us today and to very specific people today. And so what is God speaking to you today? What is in, the, in this moment, what is he speaking to you today just to take some time of reflection? What's God saying to me? I want to encourage you in something today. I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. I know that many of you have been here week after week and are so faithful and we're just so appreciative of that and love, love being a part of the Freedom Church family. 
but I know I don't know exactly where you're at. I don't know exactly you know every person here today. But I want to encourage you, regardless, to give your life to Jesus. And maybe there's a time you've done it in the past, but I find that you have to continue to choose to follow Jesus. And so today to choose to follow him. And maybe, maybe today this is something new. You've, this is like, I'm not sure about this because maybe life has been so predominantly about you and what's best for you. And today he's saying, invite me in. Invite me in. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just bow our heads today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many would just raise your hand and say, I, I feel God speaking something to me today. Could you just raise your hand? Yeah, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down when you're done. Thank you, Jesus. How many would just say, Pastor Nathan, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I've not done it, but today I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody would say, that's me. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just give our hearts, our lives to you. Father, we are all in. We are all about you, God. We just invite you. May your kingdom come, oh God. Lord, may your will be done in us, oh God. Lord, we invite you into the situation or circumstance that, that whatever it may be, God. Lord, help us to see our life, make our choices, oh God, to respond to you, Lord, just knowing that you are seated on the throne today, Lord, ruling and reigning, Lord, today. We just love you. So, Father, we want to bless you today. We want to bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.